Well, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to our continuing uh, Bible study in the book of Luke. And we're in chapter 23 this morning. And in our last lesson, uh, we were in verse uh, chapter 23, verse 43, where the thief on the cross that uh, turned to the Lord and said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And we, we, and we spent the time last uh, time looking over uh, how that came to be, what caused that, that thief in particular to turn to the Lord and the, the, the appointment that he had with the gospel there on the cross. And, and then we looked at that term paradise and what that meant. And interesting word there. And, and it, it kind of gives a sense to be lofty, to be lifted up. And, and, there's, and there's various terms that we found in the, in the scriptures. We didn't get a chance to look into all of them last time, but uh, sometimes it's, in, it's referred to as the city of God or Mount Zion or heaven and all those things. And then we have the interesting uh, one that uh, <clears throat> where uh, Jesus is speaking in about the 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 poor man and and uh, Lazarus, where uh, the or the rich man and Lazarus, and and he said he would he was gone to Abraham's bosom. Uh, interesting term there, and in that bosom. <clears throat> We find that that's where the the apostle John was one that that was at that last supper, and he was like leaning on Jesus' bosom, and and that that gives us that sense of a place of security, a place of comfort, a place of trust, and and we find all those things in in Christ, and 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 so maybe that we decided that that maybe paradise isn't so much of a place as a state of being with Christ. And, and in the Revelation, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the things that we take for granted in, and, and we try to assign those kind of thoughts and ideas to uh, the hereafter. But in Revelation, it says there, there's no sun there because Jesus is the, is the light thereof and there's no temple there because Jesus is the temple and so we find he fulfills all those things that we kind of look to in a physical sense he fulfills all those things in a spiritual sense for us and and so wherever he is for us that's where paradise is and uh, and so maybe it's a, a state of being with him more than it's a Oh, I'm going to my mansion in the sky, or I'm going to my little cabin in the. Everybody has their idea of what heaven is, you know, and and uh, maybe it's maybe it's not so much how we think it is as as <clears throat> how it will be when we're with the Lord. <clears throat> and so now uh, <clears throat> they're on the cross, and and uh, the three of them are been crucified there, and. And so we're taking up our our record here in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And Jesus, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. 
And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood far off, beholding these things. And and that's kind of the portion that we're going to cover today. And uh, so this this last, uh, the end of chapter uh, 23 and the beginning of 24 cover all the elements of the gospel that that's written about. It. <clears throat> and Paul, the apostle Paul simplified there's he summed it up the simplicity of the gospel of God in in Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, for I delivered unto you that uh, first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that's what we just read taking place physically in time uh, there in, in Luke 23 and that he was buried and that comes along here at the end of chapter uh, 23 where Joseph of Arimathea begs the body of Christ and and uh, and we'll we'll look at that in a bit here and he was and that he rose again the third day all according to the scriptures that's from 1 Corinthians uh, 15 3 and 4 and then Paul as Norm mentioned here um, I think it was Wednesday night that that the apostle Paul was declaring the gospel in Romans chapter 1 verse 1 he said he was a, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel or or designated or assigned to be a preacher of the gospel of God and then in, we have a parenthetical statement that says which he had promised, that's God the Father had promised, afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So all those Old Testament prophecies that we have all the, in all the Scriptures about Christ, starting with Genesis and all the way through, uh, which he had afore promised by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and and here's an interesting uh, part that we, we won't have time to delve into that here. And then since I'm going to be gone for a while, it might be a while before we look at this. But it, it says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the, the resurrection accomplished something the resurrection that stated something the the resurrection declared something that he was the son of god with power uh, according to the spirit of holiness and and <clears throat> so uh, those things that paul declared w are being in our in our text in luke chapter 23 and and we find in matthew 27 and john 19 and mark 15 those things recorded for us that are taking place that, at that time. And in this text that we have recorded by Luke, this, this very gospel, the events of the death of Jesus on the cross, lifted up, suspended between God and man, the daysman, 
the one who could lay a hand on us both that, that was foretold from the beginning. And so Luke here gives us a brief description of some of the events which occurred just prior to him giving up the ghost or, or uh, laying down his life. Uh, no man taketh it from me. I lay, I lay it down of myself. <clears throat> and we we mentioned that he survived the flogging, the the abuse that they heaped on him in the all night long and into the morning, and then they they crucified him, <clears throat> and that could take days for that death to occur. And and we'll we'll delve into that a bit here later in the lesson, but so we have a description of some of the events that occurred just prior to the death of Jesus that Luke records, and other things are brought to our attention in John and Matthew and Mark, and and in verse forty four it says it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Now the Sabbath was approaching. The Sabbath would have been taking place that evening. And uh, the Sabbath of rest is, is recorded. The time when men were to cease work and reflect on the completed and finished work of God. How, how all this is so appropriately fit together to reflect all that. And so it was the day of the crucifixion in, in, in Luke chapter 23, of, uh, verse 54, it said, and it was the crucifixion and the, and the Sabbath drew on. It would have occurred, it would have started at sunset that day. And, and in that Jewish clock, the, the sunrise or zero hour would be dawn. And then... Uh, the first hour would be about uh, uh, it would it would go like in hours from that point, and the sixth hour uh, would have been about noon. From from six in the morning till noon would have been the sixth hour, and then three more hours would have been the ninth hour. That would have been about three in the afternoon, and then. <clears throat> uh, <coughs> the twelfth hour would have been about 6 p.m. or sunset. And then that would be the official beginning of the of the Sabbath. And the the Jews couldn't have anything to do with a dead person there uh, in the Sabbath. That would have been a violation of their their law. And, and so the Sabbath of rest would begin then at sundown. And, you know, we've, we've got those verses in Hebrews that... <clears throat> that attest to believers whose uh, names uh, were written in, in heaven that they rested. The, the Sabbath meant more to them like, well, it's just the day when we, we don't do any work. It's a, it's a day of, of rest, trusting completely in the finished work of Christ who was slain from the foundation of the world. And, and that tells us all that in Hebrews. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. <clears throat> That's so important for us to get a grip on that 
<clears throat> when we in, when we when we're given belief in Christ and what He did and His finished work, we give up on all of our own efforts to attain our own salvation or works of righteousness, uh, anything that we're we're using to create create our own sense of uh, security and salvation in God. Like, well, I go to I go to church every Sunday and. Friday night Bible study and Wednesday night Bible study and and blah 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 and, and uh, I go about I go door to door handing out tracts or I do this or I do that or uh, <clears throat> I'm going on a mission to somewhere some religion send all their kids on a mission <clears throat> for two years when they get to be 18 and and they have to go, <laughs> so it's just more works. And he's for we which have believed enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And we find that recorded in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. <clears throat> and that was a picture of, of recognizing the finished work of God in creation and as well as salvation and then <clears throat> resting in, in His completed work and dwelling on that and thinking about it. Uh, and then we find we have, as recorded here in Luke chapter 23, three hours of darkness. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. And astronomers have concluded that there was no possibility for any kind of a natural occurring eclipse during that time because they can, it's pretty well laid out in astronomy. <clears throat> and But three hours of darkness takes us back <clears throat> to Genesis as well. We, we looked about the ceasing from works as recorded in Genesis chapter 2 but when we look at darkness we have that first thing recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 which I think is just a oh, it's just a wonderful picture of the gospel and the earth in Genesis 1 2 in the, well in 1 1 in the beginning God in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness <clears throat> was upon the face of the deep. And then we have the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What a picture of, of our, the darkness that we have in the fall. And then <clears throat> we have Jesus, the, the light of the world that lighteth every man in uh, John chapter 1, verse 4. <clears throat> Jesus who is dying for the sins of his people and and taking the punishment that we deserve and that's that that's what this darkness implies this <clears throat> he's hanging there on the cross been there for some time and then at at the sixth hour in the broadest peak of the day darkness there was darkness. 
over all the earth until the ninth hour. <clears throat> you know, darkness, uh, when we look back in the Old Testament, is often a sign of God's judgment. <clears throat> and uh, in Exodus chapter 10, Verse 21, the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, <clears throat> even darkness that may be felt. It was so thick that you could just tangibly feel it. <clears throat> and Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days, three days where it was darkness so thick that you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. Thick darkness. What a picture of our condition in, in a, our natural fallen state. <clears throat> Three hours of darkness, and you know, perhaps that was a prelude to what was to come regarding the Jews as a nation of unbelievers. <clears throat> darkness. It was just a display of God's uh, uh, judgment on sin. And, and, you know, when it talks about darkness in the New Testament, it describes a condition as being so far removed from God as to be almost infinite in scope. <clears throat> Let's look over in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 11. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so that's spiritual Israel that it's talking about there. <clears throat> the, the elect of God from every kindred, tongue, nation sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of, of heaven. <clears throat> but the children of the kingdom the physical kingdom, those that trusted to Abraham, their father, and keeping the works and uh, keeping the law. <clears throat> the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not just darkness, but outer darkness. And that word outer uh, gives you a sense of away. It's darkness that's away far away, separated from God. <clears throat> and at the wedding, when he's talking about the wedding feast and the one that shows up without the right garment and everything in, in Matthew 22, uh, 13, then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a, what a sense we get of <clears throat> of God's judgment against sin. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. <clears throat> Outer darkness. What a terrible place to, to be. Separated from God. And that's kind of what that uh, describes. Uh, and that's what the Lord was experiencing on the cross there. Uh, darkness over all the earth. It says even the sun was darkened. And uh, it just seems to convey a place 
so far removed from God. And 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 in one of the other gospels, he he or two of the other gospels, it's recorded. He said, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" If if you can <clears throat> try to imagine for a minute the eternal nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being one, being in unity and fellowship, being in unity about the church and saving the the elect and, and in all things uh, operating as one, suddenly that is taken away from you that you've, you've known for eternity and for this time on the cross. You're cut off. That's what it tells us in uh, Daniel. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. <clears throat> cut off from God. And my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? <clears throat> Darkness is is the opposite of God. You know, in this in First John, chapter one, verse five says. <clears throat> God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So a condition of darkness is a total removal of Him. <clears throat> and it just speaks volumes to the break in fellowship that the Lord suffered from the Father in our place. He took that in our stead. Even the Son itself was darkened which speaks to the the almighty power of God we don't we just kind of read that and say yeah, yeah it was dark and but he can that we read a scripture last week that said he created all things and by him all things consist and we've seen the scriptures that say well he caused the sun to go backwards so many degrees and for him to just overrule things and say dark there'll be darkness in the midst of the day at the sun when the sun was at its acme its highest peak its zenith or in the sky as we would view it from from earth uh, darkness and then not a naturally occurring event that speaks to the power of Almighty God, and and there is a sense that <clears throat> there was no natural light in the world that could offer up any comfort in His judgment over what was taking place at that time. And it kind of gives us a spiritual picture that that things that we depend on in this world are. The flesh profiteth nothing. At the ninth hour, our text tells us that Jesus spoke to the Father, having endured all the suffering in the place of the people whom God the Father had given him. In Luke's account, he records only one of the final things that Jesus said there's like seven things that he said from the cross and and Luke just records this this one instance and uh, 
He said, Father, into, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. <clears throat> and we can find the other things that he said in uh, uh, Mark, Matthew, and John. And uh, I'm not going to explore those today, but uh, there's volumes written on those seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and but today we're looking at this father into into thy hands I commend my spirit and uh, Matthew and uh, Mark recording crying out with a loud voice and then giving up the the ghost after he said my God my God why has thou forsaken me but Matthew tells us that uh and in and, and Luke here too it says the the veil of the temple was rent in the midst is how Luke phrases it in uh, in Matthew 27 uh, 50 and 51 Jesus when he cried again with a loud voice yielded up the ghost and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks were rent and then there are some other things that went on there were many people that were uh, dead rose and dropped or traipsed around Jerusalem and and that must have been an astonishing thing as well but uh, <clears throat> the one thing that I did want to to emphasize that's not recorded in Luke but in John chapter 19 it's memorialized the the precious words that he uttered, it is finished. It is finished, which in the Greek is a term that states that the debt was paid, the debt was discharged. Payment was completely and fully made. No debt remained. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful term? It's finished. I lay down my life for the sheep. Their debt is fully paid. There's no more debt. I paid for all. Even though they may not, they're, they, the ones that haven't been born yet that are going to be sinners, the sins that, that we commit even after we've been born again, the debt has been cleared. The debt has been paid. It's all been taken care of. And so what a what a slap in the face it is to God the Father to say, that's not enough. I can take care of part of this myself. When it's it's the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The debt has been wiped clean. <clears throat> And so much of religion says, well, you need to do certain things and then you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and then invite him into your heart and do all these things that they have on television all the time. <clears throat> and then all this doo-doo stuff that they try to get you to do is the equivalent of saying, the debt is not wiped clean. The debt is... There's still a little bit of debt there, that, but I can take care of that part. I only, I can do this much, and I only need this much Jesus to make up the rest. 
I only need a little bit. But it turns out we need all. We need it all. The sins of the elect of God of all time and in all places was entirely paid for and the debt owed was satisfied by our substitute. And that's what it tells us in Isaiah 53.11. He, God, the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, that's the, the, of Jesus, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, that would be Jesus, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And he's satisfied with that. The words of Jesus which Luke recorded for us show the, the complete faith of Christ in completing the work which Father had given him to do. Father, into my, thy hands I commend my, my spirit. I finish the work which thou hast given me to do. That's what he said in his prayer. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And again, as we mentioned uh, a minute ago, that at this point it's recorded here in Luke as well as Matthew and Mark that the, the veil of the temple was rent or torn torn in two <clears throat> uh, from the, uh, in, in Luke 23:45, it said the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. <clears throat> well, that would have been the the middle of it and and the other gospels say it was torn from the top to the bottom parted and that was a pretty heavy garment you know when when uh, norm went through the tabernacle and all those things in the old testament that was a pretty heavy duty piece of fabric that had embroidery on it and and uh you couldn't see through it it was heavy enough that you couldn't, because the the priest, remember, they had those little bells and pomegranates on the bottom so that they could hear them tinkling around in there and make sure they, were, they weren't dead anymore. <laughs> they, had, they could make sure they were still alive. And uh, <clears throat> I think even uh, I read somewhere where they, uh, <clears throat> sometimes it would tie a rope around their ankle and then that way they could, if they keeled over, they could drag them out because nobody was allowed to go in there but the high priest. So they could drag them out and say, well, that didn't work. Who's next? You know. <laughs> so, but, <clears throat> you know, the, if we go back to the context of what's going on here, it was the preparation for the Sabbath. And, the, and this was a high Sabbath. This was a Passover Sabbath. So there was preparations being made. Remember, there was millions of Jews in Jerusalem from all over the world there to, to accomplish their participation in the Passover. And so there were things to do to get ready for that. The priests had all their duties to get everything ready in the temple and the animals that were going to be sacrificed were being sold and, and prepared. And so there was... There was probably some priests in the temple getting things ready. And <clears throat> this, the purpose of this veil was to separate 
the part of the temple or the tabernacle where the priests conducted their business from the holy of holies where the in the in the tabernacle it would have the ark of the covenant and Aaron's rod that budded and the mercy seat and and all that kind of thing in there and no one was allowed in there but the high priest could enter in once a year after having sac uh, sacrificed for his sins <clears throat> then he would be able to enter in there and 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 do the the annual duty there that was required and so this this veil separated that out and it was a picture that no man could go in there because that's where God dwelt no man cometh unto the father but by me is what Jesus said and so this when he died on the cross, that, that veil was rent in two. And then there's some interesting things written in the scriptures here. Uh, it was rent from the top to the bottom, which only God could accomplish. I, I don't know how tall that thing was. It tells us how many cubits high it was and everything, but it was up there. Nobody was just gonna walk up to it and rip it in half. Uh, easily <clears throat> but this signified that the barrier had been removed because of the sacrifice of God's dear son the veil that separated the holies of holies where God dwelt from the rest of the temple where more men were allowed in that outer area only the high priest was allowed to enter once a year after the sacrifice of the lamb and and we have all that described to us in Hebrews chapter 9 and I think we're going to read that uh, from Hebrews 9 and 10 and then we'll be out of time for today <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1 it says then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary which describes that outer portion for there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein there was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So when you walked in there, on on the one side would be uh, the table for the showbread and the candlestick and the, you know, all those things that are described there. And that's called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So on the other side of that veil that separated these two areas was the holiest of all which had a golden censer the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And that was probably what was kind of getting ready to go on as Jesus was crucified. Uh, certainly, some, probably some of the elders and the high priests and things were at the, up, up the uh, crucifixion site. But the regular priests were going about their duties, uh, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second 
went the high priest alone once every year and not without blood, which he offered for himself and the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. That, And that's speaking of Christ. While the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure, a shadow, a type, a metaphor, for the, it was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that were just typical, that were just pictures, that were just symbols of uh, recognizing the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. They were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks, diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So this type of the temple was completed in Christ and was now no longer needed as a, uh, Jesus had come in the fullness of time and been sacrificed and, and fulfilled all the types foreshadowed and by his blood and merit, all those for whom he died now have access to the Father by him. And we can read that in the short time we have left. We're going to go, uh, we're going to read John 14, 6, and then we're going to Hebrews 10. John 14, 6 saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's so typified here in this temple in this veil being rent. <clears throat> so as as we go now to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, where before if we would have tried to enter in without that, it would have been death. Uh, now we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Be free to enter into the holiest. Be free to go to Abba Father by the blood of the Lamb. And we'll stop there and uh, thank you for your attention. Till next time. <laughs>